0: I've had so many people tell me, and they're like 32 years old or something, and they're saying, whew, I'm tired. (laughs) They're like worn out after doing it for four, four years or something. And I say, hey, listen, you know what? If you wanna have longevity in this business, and again, I've had my company now for 20 years, you have to craft a strategy that's gonna be workable for you. All that hustle culture and that grind culture, that stuff is not sustainable. And frankly, we now know too, It's not healthy for you. You absolutely want to be productive and you want to feel engaged.
1: Welcome in lovers of career excellence and financial freedom. You are listening to episode 165 of the Free Retiree Show. I'm your host, wealth manager, Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm alongside my co-host, my pal, Sergio, big boy,
2: Patterson. Big boy, that's a new one. What's up, everyone? Happy Friday. 165, this is episode 165. 165, can you believe it? No, I remember we thought we were going to be canceled after episode two. We thought Apple would block us, but we got through the
1: cracks and we are still surviving. So thank you listeners for whatever you've done to help in that department. But yes, episode 165. For today's episode, we're going to be talking about the top challenges that are facing retirees. And to help guide us in this discussion, we have a awesome guest joining us. We're excited and delighted to be joined alongside Lynette Calfani. Lynette is a New York Times bestselling author. She's also known as The Money Coach. Yes, folks, I said The Money Coach. She's also the author of 15 books. Gosh, 15. I remember
2: in college, Serge, I think you struggled with those two-page papers, but man, can you imagine writing 15 books? No. I cannot. And the quality, too. It's not just the number. It seems like they're just, they're great, all of them. So, absolutely. That's how you get on the New York Times
1: bestseller list. And her book, Zero Debt The Ultimate Guide to Financial Freedom, very popular. She's been shown on Oprah, Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, Steve Harvey, Good Morning America, and The Free Retiree Show. Yeah. And before she started the MoneyCoach.net in 2003, she was a Wall Street Journal reporter for CNBC, so she knows what's up. She's actually been there, done it all. Lynette, how are you doing today?
0: Hey, I'm doing great. I tell you what, this is a fantastic topic because I know a lot of your audience cares about their financial future and being happy. I'm Kind of person who thinks retirement isn't just about how many zeros am I going to have in the bank account? How much am I going to have saved or how much assets will I have accumulated? Yeah, you need to tackle all of that. You need to do all of that. But I tell people listen, you better think about the quality of your relationships. You better think about making sure you maintain your health. You better Mm -hmm. think about what's going to make you happy. How are you going to have purpose in life? How are you going to stay connected? with other folks. I think all of those things are just as important as making sure you're locking your financial security.
1: Yeah, you bring up an amazing point. And just to share in my own personal life, recently lost my pops, God rest his soul, great guy, super smart guy for majority of my life. And then when he did retire, he didn't have that sense of community. He didn't have a lot of friendships. So he did struggle with addiction in the later part of his life, just because he didn't have exactly what you're talking about. So to me, that speaks to me. I'm like, wow, that is, that was absolutely important because it becomes, I think when you're working, you're just caught up in the grind, right? And you have your work life. But if you don't have anything outside of that, I've just seen not just him, but a lot of people just really struggle.
0: For sure. Because for so many people, our identity is wrapped up in our careers and what we do, the work colleagues that we have. And those actually are bonds that a lot of people form that are oftentimes stronger than most people anticipate. So when you leave the workforce for any reason, you could have gotten a pink slip and been downsized. You might have got your hours cut back dramatically. You might have been forced to leave the workplace because maybe you have to help take care of, say, an aging parent or a sick relative. Hmm. Or yes, if you transition out of the workforce due to retirement, all of those things weigh on you mentally because you all of a sudden had this whole structure in place, this schedule, this set of rules and activities and things that you were doing on the regular, and now all of that is gone. So yeah, you really do need to think about how it is that you're going to cope and i think people should start to test out retirement in a way and i call it for my husband earl and i we call retirement like at least for us this is what it's going to be it's going to be our phase of being work optional Mm -hmm. i don't think i love what i do i'm super passionate about it and all of that but yeah there will come a time in the not too distant future where i won't need to work from a financial standpoint i'll be at financially a position where it's, I'm good. I could choose to work or not. And even now I have, because I'm a business owner and I've had my company for 20 years and been able to grow my net worth, etc. I'm already at the point where I can totally pick and choose the clients that I want to work with, the projects that I work on, the days that I work. And in fact, we take care to say, hey, we got to have a lot of us time, a lot of personal time. to to pace ourselves. And I just think that works better from a mental health standpoint and a career standpoint.
2: What I'm hearing is freedom. I think that's what we're all striving after. What you described sounds amazing. Reality is a lot of us, it's hard to get there. So I would love to know when it clicked for you, whether it was 20 years ago or longer, like when did this journey, like when was that aha moment for you? When did this start?
0: Well, really it's, probably been the last five years that I've really been so much more seriously thinking about retirement issues and what future me is going to look like and is going to want. And so even though I'm a money expert for ARP, they're clients of mine, I've been working with them since 2010, and I often talk to a lot of retirees and baby boomers, pre-retirees, about what the journey is like, what their expectations are, their financial and personal challenges, et cetera. It started to kick in when I think, A, my own kids started going off to college. Now I have two college graduates. So my oldest daughter has finished college. My son just graduated from college in December. And now we have the last one, our 17 year old. And so one more year of high school for her and then four more years of college. And we're like, we did it. it."
2: Congrats.
0: But because my husband and I know that in just over a year, a little about a year and a half, we're going to be empty nesters. Then that has started to really kick in more mentally about, oh, geez, what do I really want? And also having moved recently, right before the pandemic, we moved from New Jersey to the Houston, Texas area in 2019. And then of course the pandemic hit, but that also was a bit of a trigger to think about, damn, life is short. Excuse my French here, but this is, we know so many people who passed away. You mentioned Lee, your dad passing. Unfortunately, my husband Earl, he lost his mom in 2018. He lost Mm. both of his father, biological father and his stepfather who raised him in 2021. Understand what that's like, certainly. But overall, I would say my children maturing and growing up and leaving the house, then us moving and dealing with the pandemic, and then finally a health scare of our own, which Mm -hmm. catapulted us into physical wellness. Those were, I would say, the three things that served as a catalyst to really get us thinking about, you know what, we got to shore up a lot of things. So Earl was a quick story on that was that my husband was diagnosed in 2021 with AFib, with atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular heartbeat. It can cause a heart attack or stroke. And again, his mom had a stroke and passed away. His dad had a stroke, passed away. His grandfather had a stroke, passed away. So we knew we got to get really serious. We actually just totally overhauled our lifestyle and we stopped prioritizing work above everything else and we said we're gonna put our health first. So in 10 months I lost 85 pounds. My husband lost 65 pounds and we've kept it off and we're healthy. We walk every day. We eat right. I
2: think it's those moments, right? Like in our life that trigger us down the right
0: path. Those big moments. Honestly, what good is it to get to to retirement or to reach any goal that you want but not to have your health or to not have the relationships intact that you want and to not feel loved and seen by the people who you want to be connected to I think all of those things matter when you're thinking about retirement planning or again getting to what I call work options I love
1: that I think when we have these moments in our life where some there's illness or someone passes this does shake us and if you have an option I think at that time to just carry on and, or do something. And I mean, it's the financial side of me where, uh, when things like that happen, it makes me reflect on like, all right, what's my health? What's the estate look like? All that stuff. And so for all the listeners out there, when you do have these things people pass in your life and it's awful, but. Use it. You definitely use it to your benefit financially and just look at everything and do a reassessment of what needs to be looked at. One thing that we don't talk about enough is the health part that Lynette's talking about is if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Right. And I think Serge, you and I are guilty of that. I'll just call it out right now. Like we we haven't been the most active individuals, but all that stuff's important. Hey, speak for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but kudos to you you're L- right yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's good to record. i think
2: health is it sounds like lynette correct me if i'm wrong but it sounds like health is like a pillar it sounds like it was a pillar of some of your most of your success that's the foundation and that's triggered a lot of these other journeys that you've been on whether it's financial freedom and work optional all these other things
0: No, okay. <laughs> if i'm honest Recently, in the last year and a half, yes, absolutely. However, before 2021, no, I wasn't. I was incredibly unhealthy. I was Mm. successful. I was doing great things in my career, et cetera. And I was in many ways thriving, but there were so many things that that were out of whack that I could have excelled or did better or performed better. Even just in terms of having the energy and the capacity to bring my A game and level up a little bit more, I I really just didn't have it in me. I didn't have it in the tank. But now it's, oh my God, I feel like I'm in my 20s again. I'm like, I'm bouncing off the walls. I have so much energy. And it's a totally different thing when you have your health. I told my husband the other day, I said, geez, I feel like I just glide. I said, because I just move so well now. I just, I'm so light just from having the capacity to run and to run miles and miles, walk, to play tennis, to do Pilates, to whatever it is I want to try and do. It's helpful.
2: Thanks for the clarification. I think we see that I'm in Silicon Valley and Lee, we talk about it a lot with what like burnout. You have a lot of top performers, but tech in reality, they're burnt out. Like they're killing it, but it's not sustainable. So I, I think that's what I'm hearing.
0: Yeah, for sure. And sir, this is another, this is a great point that you raised about burnout and about being able to sustain yourself because honestly, what I do as a money coach and as a financial expert, I've had so many people and I'm a Gen Xer, I've had so many people say, oh my God, I want to do what you do, Lynette, or I would love to have the media exposure or the books or the speaking gigs or whatever. But honestly, I've had so many people tell me, and they're like 32 years old or something. And they're saying, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm, they're like worn out after doing it for like four, four years or something. And I say, hey, listen, you know what? If you wanna have longevity in this business, and again, I've had my company now for 20 years, hmm. you have to craft a strategy that's gonna be workable for you. All that hustle culture and that grind culture, That stuff is not sustainable. And frankly, we now know too, it's not healthy for you. It's not, you absolutely want to be productive and you want to feel engaged. Earl and I, honestly, now we mostly try to not work on Mondays and Fridays, for example. Mm -hmm. So I'll do things that are, if I got to put something on the calendar, on the schedule, but for the most part, our Mondays and Fridays are either pure us time or far lighter workload. And when we first started, we started with just one day a week off and that was Fridays. And then in the last six months, we said, what would it look like to just take off two days a week? And honestly, our business has not suffered one iota, not one bit. (laughs) Mm. So sometimes you think that, oh, my gosh, if I, especially as an entrepreneur, if I work less, but that's the key to having systems and processes in place and managing things accordingly.
2: What do you say, Lee? Actually, this is a question for both of you. What do you say to the person that says they need that hustle in order to get where you are now, Lynette? They need that not sustainable, crazy work hours to get to become successful. Is there a scenario where you could have been where you are today without that?
0: I think that whatever you think you can do, you can. And if you think you can't do it, then you can't. And so we can talk ourselves into a lot of things. And human nature being the way that it is, there's a lot of psychology that goes into our success or our failure. And so for a lot of us, I think that Oftentimes we're doing things by habit or by rote, just because I've always done it this way, et cetera. And sometimes we talk ourselves into doing things in a way that is saying, well, I have to do it this way because this is the only way I'm gonna get it done. And honestly, it, that's really not the case. So I was a person, for example, because I had a background as a financial journalist and I was used to being on deadline all the time, right? I was, a, I was a financial reporter. So I worked for the Wall Street Journal and CNBC. I worked for Fox, the 10 o'clock news in Philadelphia. I worked for Associated Press, for the Philadelphia Inquirer. So that was my corporate life before I started my own company. It was working in journalism. And so I was always so used to butting up against deadlines. Okay, I got I to gotta turn this in by five o'clock. And this is my deadline. So I started putting that on myself and saying, I need the deadlines and I work well under deadline pressure. And I would be stressed out, but telling myself, oh, I'm performing well because I just nailed it by the skin of my teeth. I just met my deadline. And no, I was just caught in the loop. I was just doing things because I had always done it that way. And so now I know, listen, you can have a different process. You don't have to, wait up until the 11th hour to get something done. (laughs) And if you get something done earlier, that's even better. Yeah,
1: I think for me, it's, you have, you can think like that in your earlier in your careers, maybe you think I can just work, work, and that's the way you do it. But there becomes a point where your personal life isn't always perfect. Yep. And you have family illness, you have friends that need you. There's things that happen. You have personal things with kids and all that stuff. And there's going to be a point where you just can't simply do that. So I think for me, it's important to always have a good team of people around you. And if you are swamped and you're just, you can push that grind, realize that there's going to be points when you can't do it. And that's why I think you got to have some balance and have a team behind you to be able to support you during those times. So yeah, maybe you can be a workhorse, but as we get older, health Starts to slip, energy starts to slip. Not if you're Lynette, because you know, she's a badass and she's got all this energy, but for a lot of people it's not that way, right? Illness yeah. creeps up on us. So I think it's a good mentality to have, but you can't always rely on that. And so I've got to the point now where I feel like I could do that, but I know the importance of having good people behind me and supporting me. And and that, that also brings me comfort during the stress.
0: I'll add something else, Lee and Search to the question that search polls about, could you have been this successful without working so hard before? And what do you say to the person who says, listen, I gotta grind because that's how I'm gonna achieve my success. Two other reasons that I question that, and I would encourage and invite others to question their assumption that's the way to get it done is again, built around psychology. We know, for example, that not only do people what you focus on expands, right? So if you focus on something and if you put time and effort and energy into it, chances are that thing is going to grow. So there's a, an organizational psychologist by the name of Dr. Benjamin Hardy. He wrote a book called Who, Not How. And the underlying theme and message of the book is that you can get a whole bunch of stuff done if you just think about who is in your team. Who is the expert that you can go to get something done? You don't Mm. need the problem solver. You don't need to be the doer to try to do everything. That's like the entrepreneur's curse Mm -hmm. is thinking I have to personally do everything. And you're often strategizing, like, how am I going to get all this done? How am I going to get this done? What am I going to do? You need to get out of the way is what you need to do. And you need to go to a who, the right person who can get stuff done. So that's number one. And then the second thing is technology. We're living in the era of 2023, where we have not only, you know, chat GPT, and now we have auto GPT and baby GPT. If your audience has heard of those two, two new entrants on, on the landscape, where if you don't have a human, a virtual assistant, you can have AI robots, essentially, AI research assistants, tools yeah. and apps, and all kinds of elements in your toolkit. To help you to function and to perform and to do things so that you don't personally have to hustle and grind as much. Use the technology that is at our disposal to to help you to expand and grow.
1: Lynette, so we talked about the things that retirees are facing right now. Health, you mentioned, which is a great one. Community is another one that's undervalued, but we need to focus on more pre-retirement and in retirement, because that can lead to all kinds of other issues. Anything else that you see as challenges that retirees are facing?
0: For sure. We were talking before about from a career standpoint that some folks don't consider longevity and about how they want to, they want to have a business or work in a certain career for X amount of time. Well, longevity matters, of course, too, when you're planning for retirement, whatever your age, right? So... Most people erroneously think that the biggest threats to their retirement security are things like stock market volatility or what's happening on Wall Street or their investment portfolio, that kind of thing. No, it's not. That <laughs> it actually shows that the biggest threats to your financial well-being in retirement is longevity and health risks, healthcare risks. So on the longevity front. You might be 35 years old and you might retire at age 50 or 45 or whatever age of your choosing. But then you have to think about how am I going to not outlive my money? So you need to be planning accordingly. You need to make sure that you have built up the right amount of assets and the right plan from a diversification standpoint, et cetera. Also from the standpoint of having the right team of advisors who can help you to navigate those issues, to figure out your own magic number for retirement. What is that going to look like? What is the cost of living anticipated for you based on your health, your family history, longevity within your family, how likely are you to live to age 90 or hundred, for example. You need to be planning accordingly and plan for longevity and also plan for those healthcare costs in retirement. So those will be the two other things that I would say folks need to address. And again, yeah, the stock market is going to do what it does and it's going to have its gyrations and whatnot, but overall focus on how can I create a, a long lasting either stream of income and or pot That is sufficient to give me the yearly income that I'm going to need to live off of from retirement when I'm no longer having earned income in the workplace.
1: That was awesome advice. Lynette, one of the things that I think about when I think about the pinnacle of someone's life, winning a Nobel Prize, maybe curing a disease and being on Oprah. I, so I got to ask you, being on Oprah, how does that feel to, to do that and getting invited on there? Which How does that process go? I just think o- Oprah's kind of like a legend, right? She's the she, legend.
0: She, she totally is. And yeah. it was beyond surreal. It was a very pivotal point, honestly, in my career. I got to promote a book. My, one of my books is called Million, The Money Coach's Guide to Your First Million. But to be honest... What happened when I appeared on her show, and I ultimately, I got to do a lot more than that. I did Oprah after the show. She had a a thing before that she would do that. When she had her reality TV show called Oprah's Big Give, I was on the debut episode of that. And then I got through the other Harpo network to do Dr. Phil and just some other stuff. But in any event, when I was on her, her talk show, I don't know if you remember, but she used to have the experts sitting in the front there. Dr. Robin, you remember the psychologist she used to be in the front there. And she had a big producing team, a lot of producers, but you do pre-interviews and you know what's some of the questions that are going to come your way. But right before I was about to go on for my segment with her, she told her producer, she was like, where's Lynette? Where? Where's Lynette? And they said, well, she's right there. She's sitting in the front row. And she said, no, bring her up here. Bring her up here with me. And so they were all like, uh, uh, okay. So everybody started scrambling and So you remember the chair, the leather yellow sofa. So I'm walking up from the seated front row to go sit next to Oprah in the leather chair. And it feels like I'm just like walking in slow motion. (laughs) And all I can think about at that moment, I was like, Tom Cruise. This was the seat that Tom Cruise was sitting in when he was jumping up and down. Oh, yeah. he, he was here on Oprah. Yeah. So it was wild. It was a, a super positive experience and a great point of leverage and media kind of begets more media. And so it surely helped my book sales and helped my brand and and popularity
1: and and a whole bunch of other things. I saw on the, you were also, I think it was the Steve Harvey. I saw a clip of that and it was going back to, I think you had a hundred thousand in credit card debt, right?
0: Correct.
1: So I just got to know, like, I don't, I didn't get the details of the hundred thousand, but like, how does that happen? How did it happen for you? How do you see other people getting into that much credit card debt? And like, for those that are battling it, what's your advice?
0: This was back in 2001. I had $100,000 in credit card debt. And fortunately, I paid it all off in three years. And then that's when I wrote Zero Debt. Initially in 2004, by the way, and it became a New York Times bestseller. We did a second edition, I think 2011 or 12, 2018 or 19. We did the third edition of Zero Debt because sadly the debt problem in America has just gotten worse over time. Got about a trillion dollars in credit card debt outstanding. I got into debt because I was a classic overspender. I now know that folks fall into debt because they're in one of two groups. Either they're overspenders and poor money managers, which is what I was at the time. Or they fall in victim to what I call the dreaded D's downsizing, divorce, a death in the family of the main breadwinner, disability or disease. And anytime those things happen to you, totally throws your finances out of whack. And it makes a lot of people live on credit and get into debt. In my case, even though I've been through a lot of the dreaded D's, and as a matter of fact, guys, you're not going to believe this, but you were talking about me having written 15 books. I have not even announced this at all yet, but I will break news and announce it on your Oh, Breaking news on the Free Retirement Show coming (laughs) up. Break news. But that that boosting us up (laughs) (laughs) single-handedly. No, seriously, I literally have not even announced this. I signed a two book deal with John Wiley and Sons. So I'm doing my 16th and 17th book with Wiley. And the book is, the flagship book is called Bounce Back, The Ultimate Guide to Financial Resilience. And it's all about overcoming the dreaded D's that I just mentioned. So it's gonna be that bounce back book and then they're gonna have the bounce back workbook along with it. And I, I should have posted about this and I will at some point in the next, I don't know, Couple weeks or something, but but yeah, that's book 16 and 17. So I got got into into debt because I was really overspending and buying a lot of stuff that I really had no business buying. Everything Everything from from putting my kids' private school tuition on credit cards to literally buying land on a credit card—thirty-something thousand dollars worth of land. And as it turns out, I later sold the land for 200000 so it worked out, but I do not recommend that anybody do that. When my ex-husband wanted electronics or gadgets, we wanted to travel or whatever, we just put it on charge card and didn't think twice about it. So I really didn't have good credit management and debt management skills back then at all. And that's frankly what got me into debt. And I also, I think, got into debt because a lot of folks who had high incomes and who actually were paying their bills, because I always paid my bills. I was not late on anything. I was rationalizing being in debt. I was like, what's the problem? Everybody's getting paid. Nobody's, no bill collectors are hunting me down or calling me. I'm not getting any late payments and whatnot. So I kind of lies and justified it in my head. But it wasn't until I just finally decided, after I got maxed out on all my credit cards and I couldn't get any more higher credit limits or anything like that, I finally decided, let me chip away at this and get rid of this debt. I just pretty much sat down and tallied up everything. And I was like, holy cow. Oh, my God. And I saw I was like $100,000. And I knew, no, girl, you got to do something different here. (laughs) So that's when I started to chip away at it.
1: So what were you thinking before you, you did the calculator? Were you thinking like,
0: ah, oh, I'm thinking a five grand? What is it? How does that? Um, I, think I, knew, I knew it was substantial because I also knew that I was getting turned down. So I knew that I was practically like, oh, let me cross my fingers when I would use my credit cards because I was like at my limits. I had applied to try to get increases in my credit limits and my creditors were like, No, (laughs) you don't need any more. No, you need to pay down what you owe. So they were like, nah, we're not giving you anything more. Because I was maxed out, couldn't get new credit and had a couple of embarrassing situations, if I'm honest, where I tried to use my card and it didn't go through that kind of thing. I was like, okay, Lynette, the gig is up. It's time to start paying. So I knew it was hefty, but no, I really didn't know that it was a hundred thousand I knew it was very, I knew it was well, well, well into the tens of thousands, but I just hadn't like a lot of people I guesstimated. I was guessing and estimating, but now I know financial clarity is beautiful. And really one of the best things that you can do is to write down what you owe. You can use apps and tools. Again, there's a ton of them and they're out there. That'll just give you a snapshot of your financial picture. And so I tell people all the time, listen, just link up your bank accounts, go ahead and get yourself onto some of these apps that are money management apps that will show you, here's how much debt you have. Here's how much you have in savings. Here's how much you're spending each month in every category, et cetera. And then people are like, holy cow, I'm spending that much eating out each month. I didn't even know. It, It gives you that financial clarity and helps you to have better financial decision making.
2: How did you like tactically, if you say you see this hundred thousand dollars in debt, you probably spread across six, seven, eight credit cards tactically, how did you actually chip away? Was it like one credit card a month you focused on, or was it all of them? I think for our listeners, like this is something I struggle with too, is like, where do you chip away at?
0: Got to read zero debt. They, everybody has to read zero debt. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Don't
2: give away all the secrets. just maybe no, like no, high no. level.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I did write zero debt as a 30 day action plan. Specifically to tell people, because I knew what it was like to feel overwhelmed and to be like, dang, where do I even start with this? So I wrote it to say each day, just do one thing. and And after 30 days, I'm not, obviously I'm not promising you're going to be out of debt in 30 days. But what I am promising is that you'll totally set yourself up for success, and you'll have that jump start that you need to keep digging yourself out of debt. A multitude of strategies. So one thing that I did was to stop digging. So every time you find yourself in a hole, rule number one should be stop digging, stop adding to the problem. It's like you have to picture I'm in financial quicksand, and if you're in quicksand and you keep shaking your body all around and moving, all you're gonna do is keep Going down deeper into that quicksand, mm. but people who are in debt, typically, again, this is a little bit of psychology. We're like, oh, well, I owe 20,000. Screw it. What's another 2000. Let me go on and, and YOLO. No, I'm going go to <laughs> Mexico. I'm gonna go to Mexico for the week, you know, what difference it make, and that's precisely the wrong approach. So one, you have to make a commitment to stop digging. You got to stop adding to the debt. Two is you need to halt all of those offers. So a lot of people need to stop getting additional credit card offers. Now, there's strategy to some of this. Sometimes you can do something smart, like a balance transfer. And I absolutely did do balance transfers, right? Mm -hmm. You can have a 0%, a teaser rate for 12 or 18 months. You transfer a high rate credit card onto a zero balance. And then you aggressively pay off that card that you've opened But you're paying all the principal balance down on that as opposed to just paying interest, which is making the banks or the credit unions or whatever institution gave you the credit card. You're making them rich when you're constantly paying interest. So negotiating, that's another strategy. At one point, all of my credit cards, everything was 4.9% and lower. So I had some at 4.9, I had 2.9, I had several at 0%. And again, I had leverage. Because I did always pay on time and the creditors, they didn't want to lose my business because it's a competitive marketplace. Mm -hmm. They know, okay, she's going to do a balance transfer and go someplace else if we don't lower her rate. So again, I tell people, get on the phone, pick up the phone and ask for a lower rate. There was a company called Synergistics. They did a study and their research found that 75% of all consumers who just called up their credit card companies and asked for a lower rate, got it right there on the spot. So you should definitely do that. Then making payments, like you cannot make minimum payments and think you're going to effectively get out of debt because minimum payments now in the short run, it might feel good. You might boost your cash flow a little bit, but minimum payments in the short run really mean maximum payments in the long run. Again, Mm -hmm. you're going to be making the credit card companies rich. So. I said, I have to start doubling and tripling my payments that I was making. I did a host of strategies. I I cut back on the frivolous spending, obviously, that I was doing. And the things that I knew was driving myself deeper into debt. And mercifully, where's the wood? (laughs) I've been able to manage debt wisely now, have a perfect credit score to just really do the right things when it comes to credit and debt, because really they're opposite sides of the same coin. Yeah, A lot of your, how you handle your debts will be reflected in your credit score.
2: That was helpful. Everyone go read
1: that. Zero, Zero debt. debt.
0: Yes. The ultimate guide to financial freedom.
1: And like the balance transfer that can get you out of some tough spots. I'm not a lot of people familiar with that. I've thought I've heard of that, but yeah, that's actually a great tactic. If you're stuck in that situation, they want to, they don't want to lose your business. So lower the rate or you just transfer it somewhere else.
0: That's right. And I tell people like, you can vote with your dollars. You can act. You don't have to stay with one brand all the time. You can say, listen, you call up your credit card company and say, I'm in the process of trying to clean up my finances. I looked at my credit card statement. I noticed that I'm getting charged. Now it's about 19% interest. I just got this other credit card offer. This is for 12.9%. Or I got a teaser rate. I got an offer for 4.9%, 2.9% for 18 months. Can you match or beat that offer? And then just pause and let them tell yeah. you what they can do for you. That's one of the strategies also that you can use to start more quickly chipping away and getting rid of the debt. Other Two other strategies I would highlight are selling stuff. A lot of us have way too much stuff. I'm Now way more of a minimalist, but in our garages, in our attics and basement, in our, even in our drawers, a lot of tech and equipment, old computers, cell phones, laptops, whatever stuff we're not using, anything that you no longer want, need, or use, furniture, clothes, kids stuff, books, I don't care, household goods, whatever, sell some of that stuff. Take the money that you get. You can have a yard sale, you can sell it on eBay or on some platforms, you can sell it online, whatever, but use the money to pay down some of your debt. That's another strategy. Then, windfalls absolutely take advantage of windfalls. So, a windfall is any lump sum of money or anything that comes outside of your normal paycheck. Hmm. So, it could be a tax refund check, it could be
1: Vegas money, right?
0: Hey, if you go to Vegas and you and you come up in Vegas, why not? You know what? Just don't stay at those tables too long talking about, oh, I got a hot hand. In this yeah, don't take
2: it back from me very quickly. It'll
0: get away from you real fast, okay? So if you come up in Vegas, just be happy and just get out the casino. But yeah, that would be something that is a windfall, you know? I'm not telling people to go play the lottery or anything like that, but just anything that, if you have an insurance settlement, a divorce proceeds, life insurance payout a yeah. family member passes and you get something like that bonus on the job bonus yeah. policy, money from that nice rich uncle you have or whatever, yep. anything that's outside your normal check or just your regular source of income, take that windfall and apply it towards your debts as well. A lot of people had, they got those stimmies, those stimulus checks. I know that's gone now, but people did all kind of stuff with those stimulus checks and a lot oh, of people yeah. should be debts. the we doing other stuff. But even government funding of various kinds can be a form of a windfall. And then you can use that to pay down your debt.
2: You mentioned you have three kids, Lynette, right? Yes. I think the other thing retirees and people who have children, something I'm figuring out right now is like how to best set up our the next generation for success. What have you instilled in your kids that you could maybe just a few words of wisdoms for parents out there who are trying to figure that out and set their kids up.
0: So my children are 25, 23 and 17 years old. And for, since they've been like five years and older, I've been talking to them about money. And one of the core principles that I teach my kids and that I've taught them, and all three, they can recite this like it's gospel practically. I tell them, you have to understand that you have choices with your money and what you're going to do with that money. And you need to be mindful of that all the time. And the choices that you have are very basic. After you earn money, and that's how you get it, it's not going to just be, oh, I inherited, i married into a sugar daddy or I whatever. After you work hard and earn your money, then there's only four things you can do. Save it, spend it, invest it, or donate it. And so all too often, so many of us, certainly in America, we're spending like 95% of our money. (laughs) We're not thinking about the other things that we should and could be doing with our money in terms of being philanthropic and giving back to others, in terms of saving and in terms of investing and making our money grow. So my kids are very mindful of the fact that they can and should and do need to apportion their money. So that, yes, you can spend, but how much are you saving? How much are you investing? And how much are you giving to others? So, so that's a principle that they've grown up with. And honestly, a lot of adults so have used that message. <laughs> then and that
2: was save. What were the four? It was save, spend, save, and invest, Save,
0: spend, invest, and, and donate. Away. Donate, yeah. yeah. Now, I'll leave you on this because, and this is just, again, a practice that we do in my family, Maybe it'll serve as some inspiration to others or even as an idea or a thought starter. So I happen to be African-American and I'm very much aware of the wealth gap in this country. And the fact that for the average white household in America has about eight times the net worth than does the typical black household. And in America, about 70% of your net worth is typically from your home tied up in in real estate. Now, again, there's a lot of gaps. We have a home ownership gap in this country where 45% of Black folks own their own homes versus 75% of white Americans. So that is one huge factor that accounts for the wealth gap. In my family, we've made a conscious decision, my husband Earl and I, that one of the ways that we personally are going to attack the wealth gap is by giving our kids what we call a wealth starter kit. So the wealth starter kit is an agreement. It's a promise that we've engaged in with our three kids. They all know it. And we've said, first, your job is to be a good person, to live by the values that we've taught you. Our family happens to be Christian live by, treat other people the way you want to be treated, be a good person, and be a good student. Like your job, go off, go hit those books hard, go off to college, do well. If you do that, if you hold up your end of the bargain, mom and dad have you. We're going to make sure that when you get out of college, you have no student loan debt to pay off. Hmm. We're going to buy you your first house, and we're going to buy you a car. So you'll be on your merry way, and you'll have a great start. 80% 80% of the kids are coming out of, of school today with student loan debt up to the tune of almost 40 grand. The average age of the first time homebuyer is around 36 years old now. And again, among African Americans, certainly home ownership rates are abysmally dism- low. It's worse now in the year 2023 than it was that 30 percentage point gap is worse than it was 60 years ago when Mm. housing discrimination was legal. So with our two older kids, yes, my oldest daughter graduated from UT Austin. She was a Jefferson scholar. She did great. We bought her first place in Austin. We bought her a condo in Austin. She got out of school. She does not have to pay student loans. Our son, he went to North Carolina State University. Again, Dean's List did great. He graduated in December in the college of design, got a degree in industrial design. We bought him his first place in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's living out there in a townhouse in Raleigh. Now my 17 year old, who's a year, almost a year and a half away from college. She's like, Hey mom, dad, where you guys gonna buy me my house? (laughs) (laughs) She's up next. (laughs) Yeah, We're like, when you go off to college and you show us that you're sticking to your part of the agreement. But yes. So my daughter, we bought her a car. We paid off her car. My son, he actually said, mom, dad, I'm super appreciative of everything you did for me. And he goes, but I want to buy, I want to do my own. So he saved for a year and a half and he bought his own, a used car, cash himself. I'm super proud of him for doing that. But I'm just sharing that story because my husband and I are big believers in attacking the wealth gap and doing what you can do personally, even as we recognize there are some structural factors at play. There's a yeah. lot of structural inequality, and but we believe in real estate and in investing in, in stock market, et cetera. We own seven properties. And again, we've given our kids a wealth starter kit to launch them as well.
2: I love that. Listeners, If I'm going to take advantage of this advice. I've got two little kids and I love this idea of a wealth starter kit. That's game-changing. Mic drop. Thank you. Yeah. Those are some great tips on that. But
1: then before we go, how can people get your books? What's the best way? And actually tell us about your website.
0: Sure. I would refer people to my free financial advice site. So it's askthemoneycoach.com. And I'm going to tell them the Cox part of it too. When you introduced me, I think you said Lynette Calfani, that part, but let me give my husband his props too. Uh, (laughs) Lynette Calfani Cox. They can find me on social media. Everything is either under at the money coach or under my full name, Lynette Calfani Cox. But so the free financial advice site is askthemoneycoach.com. Folks who want to get or at scale video-based and group coaching, I have a platform, a video-based platform called moneycoachuniversity.com as well. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much, Lynette. Books though, where can, we, where can they get your books? What's the best, easiest way? Uh,
0: on my website on askthemoneycoach.com. You'll be able to just click on the link for books and you'll see everything
1: so, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. New York Times bestselling author, Good Morning America, Oprah, Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, and The Free Retiree Show. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your wisdom. You're amazing, Lynette. All Thank right, you, folks, guys. You've been listening to The Free Retiree Show. So long for now.